A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Fray Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a conversation with psychologist, media commentator, keynote speaker, and facilitator, Sabina Reed. Sabina and I are discussing the topic of unmet needs in long-term relationships. This is a topic I have wanted to explore for a really long time on the podcast, but I knew that I wanted to wait until I had the right guest in front of me. And when I came across Sabina, I instantly reached out to her because I was consuming some of her content and I just, I don't know, I just felt like a real, I don't know if kinship is the right word, but it's, you know, a mixture of admiration um, and appreciation for the way that Sabina is curious and offers up her information and her knowledge in a really accessible way. So I reached out to Sabina and she replied and said she would come on the show. So here she is, and I'm excited to share this episode with you. I really do think it's going to be a conversation that's going to be really, really helpful for everyone out there in one way or another. Now, I did want to just flag with you before you dive into this episode If you have sensitivity surrounding eating disorders or that's a particularly triggering topic for you, please consider skipping the last 10 minutes of the podcast episode. It was completely unplanned that that topic would come up, but Sabina was asking me some questions and I wanted to answer as honestly as possible because I think it would be a missed opportunity to not. I did kind of wonder, oh, should I edit this bit out just in case? But ultimately the whole goal with this podcast is to make a difference. And I think one of the ways that we can make a difference in the world is by being vulnerable. And it is by sharing parts of ourselves that we perhaps don't feel great about because we all have those parts. And so I do talk about some of my disordered eating and the thoughts that have accompanied those disordered eating patterns and habits. And so I just, yeah, I wanted to let you know that because you just can practice hopefully your own discernment there. And if it's something that you need to skip, then just skip the last 10 to 15 minutes of that episode. Other than that, we're really speaking about unmet needs. We're talking about things that are at the core of so many relationship dysfunctions. We're talking about how to know if you have unmet needs, how to communicate in a healthy way around your unmet needs, what it can look like when you are trying to reach out to your partner and what it can look like when your partner's trying to reach out to you as well. We talk a little bit about whether or not the grass is greener on the other side and we touch on values. So before I hit play on our conversation together, I wanted to just let you know that I have activated the code PODCAST, all in capitals, for you to access the blueprint. And the reason I wanted to just stress this before we dive into the conversation is that 
Sabina talks about the importance of knowing your own values and values is a big component of the blueprint in terms of it's something that you need to know, right? You need to know what your top values are and they change and they go like it's it's intertwined with unmet needs or meeting your needs because if you don't know what your highest values are, you, you can't meet them, you know, you can't get that alignment happening. So if you are curious about your own top values and you haven't yet got the blueprint, jump over to the fray, F-R-A-E.com, use that code podcast, all in capitals, grab yourself a copy of the blueprint and do your own work, which is kind of a foundation in the conversation that I have with Sabina today. All right, without further preamble, let's get stuck into my chat with psychologist Sabina Reed. Sabina, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to have this conversation with me. It's great to be here, Kyla. You are asking, well, when you first reached out to me, some pretty heavy questions that I know are universally of interest to so many people. And you and I have already been speaking for about 15 minutes now before hitting record. And I already feel like we're not going to have enough time together. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to pick your brain on all of the topics. (laughs) So much knowledge. Well, let's, let's kick it off and um, see how I can, how I can help or if not help. I mean, I'm exploring too. I like that, you know, I probably need to set it up by saying as a psychologist, people have this idea that you have this expertise and with that expertise comes answers and solutions. And it's not always the case. So I'm, I'm pretty loud and proud about putting up my hand and saying I'm in the trenches too. And a lot of the questions, and I think a lot of the discussion you and I will probably have today is meaningful to me and to you and to many of your listeners too. So there's my disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. One of the things that I am continually getting asked about is what to do if you are in a long-term relationship and you are noticing a disparity in having your needs met. The term that keeps coming up is what do I do if I have unmet needs? And now that term is fairly self-explanatory. It means you have a need that's not being met. But why does it happen so often in long-term relationships? Well, I think what a great question to start with. That unmet needs, find me a relationship where people do not have unmet needs. So the present, I mean, I haven't found one yet. So I'd love, I'd love it if you've got one uh, <laughs> to, to showcase. I doubt you do. Um, I don't think the question so much is why or do we have unmet needs, it's what do we do with them? Because as you said, unmet needs is clearly um, needs that aren't being met. Well, every relationship has needs that aren't being met. And that opens up another conversation. And that is um, how, how realistic is it to expect all our needs to be met through one person? And again, I would say impossible. So perhaps some of our expectations are out of whack. Perhaps if we were able to um, perhaps almost ranks too clinical a word, but prioritise which needs are non-negotiable and then acknowledge that some of our less important needs will not be met and we can maybe live with that. Then we focus on the needs that really matter most to us and therefore it it doesn't become do we have unmet needs in the relationship, it's how do we go about meeting um, my unmet needs in the relationship and your unmet needs in the relationship um, or at least acknowledging that's the starting point. I think often... Um, I often say behind every criticism is an unmet need 
but that's not a healthy way to dialogue about them. But what we do is we say, you come home late every night. There's the criticism. The unmet need behind it is, I miss you. I need your help. I want to be in this together. Mm. There's the need. Well, there's the unmet need. Um, when, if I phrased it like that, you might say, I want to, I want to feel needed. I want to, I want to support you. I want to be part of this coming, you know, this period of time at the end of the day and share that with you and the kids. But if I hear you're never home and all you care about is work and yourself, I'm probably less inclined to want to be home with you because I'm feeling criticized and somehow like I'm not good enough. Mm. So you've got the need there at the core and then like the symptom is that kind of communication of like whether it's negging each other or chipping each other down or what some people might call nagging or just that kind of general dis-ease in a relationship is often stemming from, yeah, not having that need met. And I think it's really important what you've said there, Sabina, about having a hierarchy of needs because there's so much rhetoric now surrounding relationships and how your partner should be your best friend and they should be your confidant and they should be, you know, you should be having mind-blowing sex with them and you should be able to work out with them and have all of these conversations about emotional growth. Like they should be all of these things for you, but it's so unrealistic. Mm -hmm. And also, um, you know, whenever we have these kinds of conversations that you and I are having, it's so easy to point the finger out what oh, you're totally. not doing, what yeah. the other person's not doing, how they're not great in bed, how they're not growing, how they're not, um, you know, on the dance floor, whatever it is. But I guess we also need to turn the finger to ourselves and ask ourselves, what what do I do well, and and perhaps what do I not do well? We're all we're not good at everything. So how can one person? I think it's a real fallacy that one person meets all your needs. But in order to have this conversation in a rich and meaningful way, I think we almost need to go back to the trajectory or the typical trajectory of a relationship. When you first meet someone, you are under the illusion that they can meet all your needs. You're so excited, the oxytocin love bubble, I call it, that you think you've finally met your person and they they meet all your needs. That's literally what you'll, you know, ask anyone in a new relationship. It's just amazing. We we just have so much to talk about. We're so alike. That's what a lot of people say. You know, we're so similar. I can't believe how similar. And we're going through this sort of... Um, comparative process of past partners and how this one is doing things that the last one didn't. It's as if when you've just moved house, you move into a new house and you think, oh, this kitchen's amazing. I wish I'd had a, a dishwasher and a microwave next to each other like this in the last kitchen. I didn't know how good this would be. But then you wander down the hall and the ensuite sort of got chip tiles and that annoys you. But in the last house, the ensuite was schmick. So um, another one of my favourite sayings, um, pick a new partner, pick a new set of problems. And that's yes. not a negative. That's, um, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a realist. I mean, I, I like to think I'm, a, I'm an optimist, actually. I'm a realistic optimist, I would say. Um, that's what I call myself. <laughs> yeah, because blind optimism is, you know, futile and actually quite damaging. If we say everything's amazing, everything's going to work out just fine, well, it kind of takes our agency and our responsibility out of the equation. But I do have a belief that the world, you know, works in largely positive ways and I have a, a sense of, um, well, anyway, we don't need to talk, but abundance versus scarcity, you know, the thing, good things happen. But, but we do need to have um, a, a realistic approach that one person won't meet all our needs. I think that's probably um, 
what happens is, I know what I was saying there, early on in a relationship, you have this sense that they do. So then you have this grief and this frustration and this rub when they don't because you almost like you feel let down because you've written this story in your mind of hey here is my happy ending this is how it's going to be and you have you've you've run away with this narrative not understanding as you said new relationship new problems I um, just shared a podcast episode that my sister and I recorded today and one of the things we were talking about was how in each relationship there's almost like a buy-in like a fee that you're paying to be in that relationship and it varies and I know that sounds so transactional but it's true like in every relationship you're going to have to make concessions on some things compromises there's going to be like a buy-in in in a way yeah or a loss is another way to say that there's going to be a loss so really the question then becomes which losses can I tolerate Um, which is different to which losses can I, you know, rejoice and love to bits? (laughs) Which losses can I tolerate? Which ones are okay for me that I can live with and which are not? And we're back to kind of the prioritising what matters most, I think. And the other complex piece here is what matters most changes across a relationship and changes across a lifetime and changes across, you know, developmental milestones in our lives as parents, as um, workers, as more clearly as partners, as children, as sibling, everything. So what we wanted 10 years ago might not be what we want now and our non-negotiables might have shifted too. And now we have two people with these two non-negotiables or changing changing needs. Of course there's going to be clashes. Of course there's going to be pain points there. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've got written down is as you change and you grow and you go through experiences, your needs inevitably do change. What I need now at 34 is different to what Kylie at 24 needed. Absolutely. And sometimes, I mean, I found myself in life sometimes going, I don't even know what it is that I need. I just know that something's off. And I think because we live such fast paced lives, it's like, hang hang on, I need to stop first and identify what is it that I actually need before I can even kind of put them in some sort of order so that my partner can understand it. Often there's a disconnection, I think, with self. Beautiful. That's such a great reflection, Carly, because then again, we point the finger out and think, you're not doing what I need you to do. But actually, what the hell do I need you to do? Because I don't know what I need. I don't know what matters to me. So there is a self piece here. And I think there's also something around um, literally language, because um, many of us have not been sort of coached or trained in, in rich language around emotion and connection and relational language I'll call it Um, so we just say I need you to be more fun or I need you to be more present or I need you to adore me more you know they're they're quite simple and we need to be able to unpack almost um, a relational thesaurus what does that mean if someone says you don't adore me enough what does that mean and if I can put my psych hat on um, there's something there about I need to feel valued, I need to feel seen, I need to feel like I matter, I need to feel important to you. Now, these are pretty universal experiences for people in relationships. But if we dig a little bit deeper and we think back to our um, family of origin and our younger year experiences, someone who wants to be adored will probably have a story somewhere in their history around not being seen. Perhaps they grew up in a big family and kind of got lost in the wash-up or um, perhaps their parents were very critical with the language they used. So they're saying, please, please validate me. I want you to tell me how amazing I am. So without that insight, 
um, to just be grumpy with a partner because they're not adoring is missing all of the nuances that get us to the point where we are. And then what often happens is we leave a relationship because he he or she didn't adore us in the way that we desired um, and we go in search of adoration. This is obviously just one example. I could list a thousand things. Yeah, you could replace the word adoration with anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And we might find someone who adores us, um, who puts us on a pedestal, but then they may not meet other needs. So um, I think before we started recording, you said, you know, you don't have a belief that the grass is always greener. And Sometimes the grass is just plastic fake grass. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm so glad that you brought this up because I am continually asked, like I would say daily, I'm getting direct messages from women who are saying, how did you know it was time to leave your marriage? When do I? When should I? And I mean, there's a lot to unpack just in that alone. Like there's an implicit kind of context that people think I was the one to hit eject on a marriage, which is a whole other conversation. But then women saying to me, I have unmet needs. I don't know whether I need to leave. I think I need to leave. Should I leave? Mm. And I'm the first person to say the grass is not always greener. You know, like I'm never going to come on social media and say, if you have a couple of unmet needs in your marriage, you should absolutely exit and go and find someone who's going to meet them because I understand no relationship is perfect. Mm. But I do think this whole grass is greener or, you know, people having a, what they perceive as an insight into people's relationships on social media is promoting this idea that one person can Mm. meet all of your needs. And there is this one perfect person out there. Mm. And I worry people are ending relationships too soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which will be really meaningful, um, narrative or perspective coming from you you're talking about a lot of women your age who are thinking well you you're out on the other side now I think what they're really saying is what's it like out there (laughs) is it safe um are you coping how are your children what do your finances look like you know because these are the we have to go there when we when we think about life on the other side of a relationship um and I don't mean finance, that's not a female statement, that, that's just, you know, practical, like yeah. what does this look like? We're dividing two resources, uh, you know, one set of resources into two different camps. So these things are practical. Um, Absolutely. And I've recorded so many episodes where I have said, you know, these are the things that I would do differently. I've got one that I've titled, if I could turn back time to credit share, but yeah you know, I've been really open in saying it's not always the amazing thing. It's not always an easy option. Mm. But I guess back to that question of when do I know it's time to leave a relationship? What would you say to people who ask that? Well, this is a really, um, this is a really big change question, really. But just give us the right, perfect answer. (laughs) (laughs) Give us one answer. (laughs) The equation there is, and it could be about any change, whether it's marital and relational or otherwise. The short answer is when the status quo is more painful than the what if. So the status quo is what you're in now, the relationship, say, not you, but maybe some of your listeners. The what if is not knowing what it's like on the other side to be separated. When you, and the what if brings a lot of distress because it's uncertain. We don't know what it's going to look like. So um, that is the same. I could answer that. I could give you that response to um, should I should I give up chocolate? I mean, or should I run a marathon or, or anything? 
when what you're doing now is more painful than not knowing, you'll, you'll jump. That's when people make a change. But what that perhaps doesn't always take into consideration is, as we've talked about, what are the factors that are creating that pain and are they actually all relational? Or are they, again, I'm going to be the psychologist, some of the wounds that we've carried and we're hoping that another person will heal us. And when they don't, we get frustrated, we get despondent, we feel hurt and lost. So we look for that healing in another instead of ourselves. So I guess um, I would also add to that, what have you done, not you, but listeners (laughs) or anyone at this juncture, what have you done to explore meeting some of those needs, both individually and collectively as a couple? How have you dialogued about them? How have you expressed them? How have they been hurt? What efforts have you, what attempts with um, other people and other uh, activities in your life, whether it's work or friends or, um, because I think sometimes we don't, we, we don't flex that muscle enough in this expectation that another will, will fix and bring, you know, everything we need. So by that, I guess I'm talking about if you, well, let's let's. Could you highlight some unmet needs that you're thinking of that people have? That they could be. Yeah, absolutely. Friends, someone writing in. One of the biggest ones that I see over and over again by a direct message is that women are wanting more emotional growth and more personal growth, but their partners are not wanting to come along for the journey and they're really noticing that disparity or feeling like they're continually pulling their partner forward in a personal growth capacity. That's Mm. probably the biggest one. Mm. I think another unmet need is just actually physical hands-on help and feeling seen in a Mm. domestic partnership, like acknowledged, seen, respected. Um, I think fun is another one as well, but I think fun is often, I mean, I shouldn't be so sweeping. I'll speak for myself. When I have noticed that I'm looking towards someone to bring me fun, that's when I'm like, oh my God, I need to stop. What am I doing for myself? Mm -hmm. I need to go and bring fun into my life. Mm -hmm. But I would say the top ones are, yeah, that emotional growth Mm. and parenting. Mm. I've written them down. I think that, you know, and I hear them too all the time clinically um, and just speaking to anyone. The the growth one, so let's let's just go there. What is it that we desire about growth? So this is, I'm not asking questions about the, other person we you know the the obvious thing we're saying is he's not growing at the same rate I am he's not interested in growth in the way that I am um he doesn't want to discuss the the content that I'm reading or absorbing so there's a disconnect what do you think underpins desire for growth there's no right answer to this either but yeah well I think what comes up for me is like grow for me personally growth is incredibly important in terms of learning about myself understanding why I am the way I am and wanting to improve upon myself and I feel like that just trickles down then you know the more I understand myself the more I can have compassion and empathy for my children and relationship and all of that Mm. I can't speak for why other women are finding it important but I think what I imagine from the comments I've read on social media and in our Facebook group is that and I'm being very general here, but women are developing a passion for understanding themselves and wanting to improve and noticing that that's not there in their partner. So I guess that's like a lack of shared interest mm-hmm, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet um, it's and it's possible that the male partner has some interests that don't interest the female 
or the other person, let's not even talk hetero. I mean, yeah. one partner, partner. one, partner two, yeah. Yeah, partner one, partner two, partner two exactly. So partner one might um, be a real foodie and partner two might just think food's just fuel. Like why do we have to talk about that sauce and play with that recipe and what a waste of time that is. So um, the growth one is loud and commonplace but it's kind of acknowledging, I think, again, if if that's an area of frustration in your relationship, you could say to your partner, I'm really interested in, I think growth's a little bit too general, that term. I know we talk about it, women particularly talk about it a lot, but I would be more specific. What is it? Do you want to better understand your emotional self? Do you want to better um, better build your career? Do you want to repair ruptures with your, you know, estranged parent? Like what? what is it? What is it? What's the growth? Be specific and then be able to share that with a partner. I want to tell you something about me that's important to me and I, w- I would love your, your um, support. That doesn't mean that I want you to go and do the same. So if my partner's really interested in footy, does that mean I have to go to the footy every weekend? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you think, just hearing you actually say that, say that to me directly, do you think that this whole, this could be part of it when people are saying, I'm really craving growth and my partner's not coming along for the journey. Could that be kind of similar to the fun thing where it's a projection of being like, I want growth, but because they're not doing it, I can't, you know, it's like that looking outwards thing again. I think there is some projection. I think it's very real though, to want to, like we're hardwired Mm. as a species to want to grow and develop, you know, even look at, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs he starts so we're talking about needs that was a a theory in the 50s um, but I think it still stands that what uh, we have these basic needs so needs around food and shelter and safety and then belonging and you know employment and all these things up the up the list and self-actualization is the top of the list that's what he called self-actualization you and I would probably call it growth um, when you have these other more basic needs met, we really are kind of hardwired to continue working our way up the up the rungs. So it, it makes sense that we might arrive at that place at different points. Some people never do, um, but more likely in a relationship at different points. So um, it's possible one partner's thinking, I'm really just wanting to build safety and security um, so that involves caring for our children or, you know, paying a down payment on a house or, and the other person saying, but I want to, I want to expand and stretch myself. And so they, it's very difficult to be, for two people to want to self-actualize or grow at the same time when, um, one of our needs is, is, you know, one of our attention to needs is different to the other. So I'm not going to say it's all projection because I think that minimizes the importance, um, the importance of, 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 needs and sharing needs I'm probably more interested in how we dialogue about them instead of wanting the other person to mirror our needs so if I say I love pizza do I do you have do you have to want to have pizza with me every Friday 
No, it's one of my now and then. I'm being facetious because it's a silly, you know, it's a basic silly need. No, but, it makes it really clear. It's great. And then you say, no, I, I like Chinese. Do I say, well, then we can never eat together. We can't share a meal together. Or can we sometimes have pizza, sometimes have Chinese, but actually it's not what we're eating that matters. It's me saying, how is it for you? What do you like about that? Why did you order that? What does that remind you of? Did you do that when you were a child? You know, so, um, you know, did you used to have pizza on a Friday night at home when you were a kid? So it's how we open that up. And I think when we talk about growth, particularly as women, we're saying, I want you to come with me, not just on the growth journey. I want you to hear me, attend to what I'm saying. And even if it is talking about different cuisines, I don't want a shutdown. I don't want a perfunctory short answer. I don't want to be transactional. And yet we, again, are hardwired. The genders are in different ways. You know, they, I'm going to go back. Often I like to think about what were we like, a, you know, a thousand years ago. And we, women were in groups. Women were hunters and gatherers. Women talked to each other all day, every day. And men were out um, sort of having short conversations with each other and then slaughtering a beast, protecting the tribe, coming back. But the safety of the tribe relied upon our communication. It, it did. It did. But it also women, women spent time together sharing in a way that they didn't with their partners. Yeah. And so I think this is probably what people are classifying as an unmet need when they're wanting to grow but then their partner is kind of minimising what they're saying. So it might be less about, oh, they're not growing at the same rate, but they're not showing any enthusiasm or they're minimizing and shutting me down, like saying, that's woo-woo, that's not important. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. We're fine how we are. Mm-hmm. And I know your listenership is predominantly female, but if there were male partners, particularly in hetero relationships listening, the call to action there is probably to ask questions. It doesn't mean it's your Men, number one are you listening? <laughs> ask Just questions. ask, ask questions. <laughs> if, if, and this is what I would call a bid. So um, the idea of bids is that, and we're all making them all day, every day. Absolutely. A bid doesn't need to be explicit. A lot of us think a bid would be like, honey, come to bed right now. Or can you please put out the rubbish? You know, that's very direct. But a bid also comes in the form of, (sighs) yes, that's a bid. Because when I do that, I want you to say, oh, I just heard, are you tired? Tell me about how you're feeling. What was that breath about? Or are you feeling hopeless or exhausted? Tell me more. And when we don't get that in response, and I've literally seen people like one deep breath and then, (sighs) ah, because they're saying, can you please notice? And then comes the door slam or, and then or the, the door next slam. thing. And the other person thinking, I didn't even notice. I didn't say the bid. So what we know is that the more we, the more our bids are unmet, the less we bid. So we bid, we bid, we bid. In an early relationship, often those bids are responded to and so that, that makes us feel connected. Then perhaps they respond a little bit less and we to them. It's often two-way. And eventually we think, you know, it's kind of not safe to keep bidding because no one's coming back to me. So we retreat or we go elsewhere and put our eggs in, you know, work or friends or other baskets. So this is about having a conversation. I feel like often I reach out to you and you're not present or you're not hearing what I'm saying and I'm less interested in actually the content we're talking about and more the process that sits between us. 
I love that explanation of bids. I often talk about that um, because it's one of those things that just goes unnoticed or unsaid, even though we know we're all doing it, you know, a bid might be sitting close to them on the, on the couch because you want that physical touch, but you don't feel like you can say, Hey, do you find me attractive? Can you touch me? So you're trying to make these little bids towards it. And then that kind of, I don't know whether you, uh, stonewalling is probably not the right thing, but that stopping of making bids and then that's a real shift in the relationship. It is. So there's two. There's three ways we can respond to a bid. One is we can respond wholly and full-heartedly and with a presence, a presence of self. The other is to sort of just kind of, um, oh, you know, like, okay, say you're reading the paper in the morning and you say, oh, look at this house. I would love to live somewhere like this. And I say, oh, would you? And then I go back to what I'm doing. So I haven't rejected the bid, but I haven't expanded the bid. I haven't taken an opportunity there. So that's one and two. Three is a total rejection. Why are you looking at that house? Why does that even interest you? That's not in our budget. I don't know why you're bothering with that. So if either anything but number one happens, so two or three, so sort of a meh response or a rejection, next time I'm reading the paper, next time I'm sitting on the couch, next time I want something, I might not ask for it and mm. and then the chasm grows. And that disconnection and that's when I imagine a lot of people find themselves describing their romantic relationships as ships in the night or housemates Mm -hmm. and you know I hear that a lot like oh we just feel like housemates you know we just Mm -hmm. get in and get get what needs to be done done but there's Mm -hmm. not that connection so that's a really I think helpful way to think about the bids you're making but also the bids your partner might be making that are going unnoticed. Yes. And that's why I said at the beginning of this chat, we can point the finger out or we can point the finger in. And really, we need to do both um, to think about, yeah, what what am I doing in the bid department? How am I responding to their bids? Am I seeing their bids? Am I open-minded enough? Am I only noticing the explicit bids? Um, what, what sort of more subtle bids, what nuanced bids perhaps am I noticing? What's the way that my partner's trying to reach out to me? And recognising that a lot of people who are saying it's time to leave a relationship will not be responding to each other's bids and will have given up, will have given up on the bidding. I think it's such a great conversation to even take to your significant other and say, hey, I was listening to this podcast today and the terminology around bidding came up. I was thinking about the way that I'm doing it. This is what I'm doing. And I've noticed, you know, is this what you're doing? Actually just being a little more vulnerable? Yes, yes. But we don't because when those bids have been rejected or ignored, as I said, and I use the word safety. Now, a lot of people don't get that. They're like, what do you mean it's not safe? They're thinking physical violence or something. But what I mean by not safe, if something's not safe, it's because our needs haven't been acknowledged. And how many times will I put up my hand without my needs being acknowledged before I can't handle I can't handle that vulnerability, that pain. I don't want to bleed anymore, so I'm going to stop Mm. trying. And then, as you said, ships in the night or um, putting our energy elsewhere. And then both partners are hurt. So I like when I'm working with a, you know, if I'm working with a couple to be thinking about what's the hurt here? What's, What's the desire? What's the dream? What are we longing for? What's the yearning as opposed to what's not happening? It's what will, you know, what do we want to be different? And when... Each partner can bear witness to the other one's dreams and yearnings and desires. I think we soften and we hear bids that we've ignored and we can lean into bids that perhaps we've chosen not to in the past. 
Yeah, I'm sort of getting that visual, you know, of two people in bed at night, both facing opposite opposite ways, both feeling like they have made bids and they've been rejected. And yeah, it's not safe. Maybe it's not safe to roll over and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling because you don't want to be vulnerable and be rejected. Mm. And yeah, I'm like, that, that's got to be a two-way street. Mm. And someone has to circuit break. Yeah, someone's got to go first. Yeah, someone's got to yeah. go first. So if you're listening to this and you think, that's us, that's us, we're at opposite sides of the bed or we're on our phones in bed or I feel hurt and rejected, um, what could you do to be the first one to make the first move to initiate the repair? Yeah, great question. And probably the more important question is what stops you? What's the barrier to doing that? Yeah, what is safety for you? Yeah. Yeah, and what's on the other side of that? Yeah. I'd love to ask a really basic question, but I think it could be an important one. How do we know what our needs are if we're not in touch with them? Mm, It's so not a basic question and it is an important one. And I think um, it's kind of like values. So I often talk to people about values both personally and professionally. And some often people will say, I don't know what my top values are. You know, um, so two things can help. One is when you have a menu in front of you, then it's you, we're often much quicker to say, oh, now that if I've shown them a list of values, they'll say connection's really important to me. Um, Humour, that's really important to me. And impacting, yeah, they're, they're important to me. So once it's in front of us, we know what to order. And I think that's sort of the same with needs. The flip side of that, and, and you can Google, Google um, needs menus, um, emotion menus or feelings menus, um, values menus, they're, they're, they're all out there. You know, you don't need a specific one to get the cattle, to, to be the catalyst for the conversation with self or with another. But I think the other thing that's quite telling is when, um, when our needs are not met or when our values are, are breached, for instance, um, then you know something really doesn't feel good. You have the pit in the stomach and you think, I don't, I, I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to work here. I don't want to be in this space or this relationship. So we actually do know when they are not honoured. Yes, you know, when the, you're triggered by something. Yeah. Well, that's probably a sign of, of um, what, what, you need, what you need most. Mm. It's kind of, so, yeah, sometimes, you know, when it doesn't feel good is a sign of what we do, what we need yeah, the things that you're bothered by or the lack yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. makes so much sense. And we've got on the fray.com, we've got the blueprint and we talk people through how to find their values. And it is, there's a values menu. And it's like going through and actually taking time, acknowledging what is important to you. Mm. And part of that exercise is noticing when are you feeling activated or triggered mm. and what's mm. that underlying cause because it's so helpful. And I think a really good question for people at, at this juncture who might be experiencing some of what we're talking about is to acknowledge the change. And you and I have touched on that. Um, you know, when I first, when we first met, um, this was really important to me. And now that we've got young children, that's not important to me anymore. So I've shifted, and I want to talk about that with you. Let's, you know, we, I'm different to how to who I was when we first met. My needs are different. Tell me about how you've changed. That's a beautiful question to ask a partner. How do you think you've changed in the last five years and how would you like to change in the next five years? Amazing. I love that. It's that acknowledgement of, hey, we've entered a different season of our yes. life. I'm yes. no longer 25, 35, 40, whatever it is. Yes. We're different. 
tell me about you so I can tell you about me as well yes. and we can kind of recalibrate on what our needs are yes. so that we're not growing apart not knowing. Mm. I will also say in the context of this conversation, I do I do believe that all relationships um, are not you know, lifetime relationships. So you're using the word season. We talk about, you know, the, the poem season, reason, lifetime. Yeah. Are we together for a season? Are we together for a reason? Are we together for a lifetime? And if it's not a lifetime, what was the reason? What did I learn? What did I give? How did I impact? Not just what did I get, but what did I give? Mm. And if it's a season, well, well, why that season? So we do seem to place too much um too much weight on longevity as opposed to what's transpired, the richness of the relationship, the exchange of the relationship. And unfortunately, and I know this content is everywhere, you know, whether it's Glennon Doyle or um, who's talking about it, Dr. Shafali. I don't know, there's a lot of people talking about longevity versus the essence of the relationship. But society says it's till death do us part. And so we yeah. feel this sense of failure. We feel this sense of um, shame. I shame. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I planned. Why didn't I get this right? What's wrong with me? And and um, that's not that's not useful because there's a there's a I don't want to use the word growth, but there's a richness in whatever you've shared with that person. And I also think, yeah. sorry, I was just going to say it can be so reductive mm. to have the only success marker of a relationship be longevity, mm -hmm. you know, and as someone who was with, you know, I was married and I was with my ex-husband for 10 years and there was so much good in that relationship and I have really had to work through that because I had so much shame. I didn't realise I had so much um I guess like there's an element of like internalized misogyny surrounding like I really felt like I had to have a man in my life to be following the good girl path, that trajectory of be the good girl, find a good husband, stay in a good marriage. And then when that was kind of ripped out from under me, realizing, oh, I like I, I thought that longevity was a success marker too and really having to kind of walk it back and as you said, go, what did I learn from this season or the reason we were together? What did I contribute? And really focus on those things rather than going, oh, it's failed mm -hmm. because it ended after 10 years going, well, maybe it was a success that it ended at that time, mm -hmm. um, even though it's not the typical <laughs> successful mm. version. Well, who, but what, what are we, what's typical? Disney? Oh, I mean, that's it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Whatever, All whatever. of the fairy tales. Yeah. The fairy tales, yeah. Sabina. <laughs> I, I think it's also important here, you just said something that made me think, um, oh, yes, I'm going to go back to the family of origin piece. And and I talk a lot about family of origin influences because they're, they're so potent in who we are and our beliefs and our identities, the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's not uncommon for us to choose a partner to continue to learn what we haven't yet learned <laughs> yeah hands up <laughs> literally I've got my hand in the air like uh-huh this like, is a whole other conversation <laughs> let me tell you all of my trauma <laughs> well tears in your eyes I can see the emotion yeah. like, and people can't see us but I mean mm -hmm. they can hear us and they can feel it and well tell me before I say what what came up for you just then oh I know point blank like I 
I have a fan, I, sh- I don't, I don't think I need to add this precursor, but I will. I have an amazing dad, but my dad truly valued and still values appearance and looks above all else. And so I went out into the world hell bent on proving that I could, you know, I had a very severe eating disorder because if I was going to be thin, I was going to be the thinnest. I went into being a flight attendant because my dad always said, you're going to be a great flight attendant. I then think I chose partners who were emotionally unavailable, but also really valued appearance and perfectionism as one of their, um, their things that they looked for in a partner. Mm-hmm. So when I think of family of origin, it's I can see a very clear through line mm-hmm. on the type of men that I have chosen mm-hmm. and the type of man that I love the most in the world, my dad. Mm-hmm. And unless there's been, you know, really extreme trauma in our lives and sometimes even then, our I'm going to say this is a bit gendered, this conversation, but I'm going to go there. Strap uh, in. <laughs> uh, yeah, our um, opposite gender parent, so you and your father for a boy, them and their mother, that's sort of the first, your father's the first man you ever loved. Oh, absolutely. And lo- who loved you. That kind of makes sense. And so the way that that man loved you, the template that is laid down consciously and unconsciously, we continue to repeat or to seek out. And then even when we have insights, you know, cog- cognitive insights that say, I know that that's like my, you know, it's, this is no newsflash, like people talk about marrying their father or their mother all the time. Um, we can understand it cognitively but practically it's so embedded it's it's because it's feelings it feels familiar which feels safe which is kind of better the devil you know so um you know to now put words to that which you've obviously done many times before is is a really important choice i think that each of us need to make particularly if we're exploring the end of a relationship how much of this, I talk about the me versus we, how much of this is about me and where I've come from and that um, the way that I know to be loved is through what I look like and through doing being the best. And so um, I want to be loved. We all want to be loved. I'll continue to be thin, to be beautiful and to be the best and then I'll continue to be loved. And then something there's some emptiness, there's some sadness, there's some yearning that goes with that. And so we think maybe maybe this isn't where I get love. Now, if you move on and keep repeating that with the next partner and the next partner, that we're not learning, we're not growing, we're not shifting. Um, and I, I just think that family template needs to be picked up again and again and again. <laughs> and you'll have many listeners who have spent you know, a lot of time in therapy thinking, and others who, who haven't at all, but di- there'll be different people along the continuum. Okay, I understand my template, but what do I do with it? Um, but keep looking at it. Look at it from a different angle. Pick it up. Put it down. You know, keep exploring it because it's informing so many of our choices. You said you pick unavailable men. And I should be clear, emotionally unavailable. I've said that before and people are like, oh, you go after married men. No, no, no. Like I just mean I am attracted to, I find myself often most lit up, like mm-hmm. my brain is lit up by men that are more emotionally unavailable mm-hmm. and I'm much more comfortable meeting their needs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, I'm aware that the men that light me up are often the ones that aren't asking me questions or interested in me. 
So they light you up in the early days because I know this pattern. I've yes, been, familiar, I've been safe. Yes, but then down down the track, you're saying, "I want, I want you to." I want you to know something about me. I want to share something. And I don't want to look hot all the time. And I don't want you to value my aesthetics. And I want to explore and be raw. And so there's this um, this this familiarity and then there's the grief that comes with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, there was a real breakthrough moment for me with my therapist a couple of years ago when I was saying to her, um, and this might be triggering for people listening I'll have to put I'll put a bit of a warning at the start of the episode but we were talking about having an eating disorder and how it kind of often stays with you in a, in different ways and flares up and then flares down and it's kind of it's a coping mechanism and I was saying you know I would take this is really sad but I was saying in one of my low points I would take 15 or 20 years off my life to be 15 kilos lighter and how sad is that and I was really berating myself and going I must be so self-centered and my therapist stopped me and she said what I'm hearing is you would take 15 years off your life to be loved yeah and I was like oh like that just broke through and kind of it really hit me square in the eyes of going like yeah this family of origin stuff is so deep like Mm. the fact that I've connected that to being loved so um inexplicitly like just yeah yeah, and it was really a a shattering moment for me in Mm. going oh my gosh no I don't want to operate that way Mm. and I'm glad you raised that Kylie because nearly everything we do is to try to be loved to be accepted to be to be accepted I would say almost as much you know I'll put that on equal with love um and we do things that are really damaging that are really illogical um but we'll do whatever we need to in order to get what we to get that love and acceptance and then just to add complexity to it there's a lot of intergenerational intergenerational um impact oh, absolutely here as well. so you're just talking about your your parents to you but their parents to them is passed down to you as well that's how they parented that's how they learned their way in the world and I'm, I've worked with so many um people who haven't had much awareness of the generations before them but when we explore that um, so many themes are passed down, whether it's um, – so a veneer is actually quite a common uh, – that's what I would call what you're describing, you know, mm. what what you look like. That kind of um, pretense is often passed down through multiple generations. Let's let's look like we belong in the community. That let's do the right thing by other people. So you're great, yeah, great. Here's, here's a visual marker of how well you – how great you are. Uh-huh. Well, this is how we're going to survive. This is how mm. we're going to be loved. You know, if people in the community like us, then we'll be okay. So let's make it look like everything's perfect here and that gets passed down and passed down and passed down. So, um, <laughs> and yet having said that, some people could be listening thinking, well, that sounds bloody hopeless, doesn't it? Is it written in the stars? And I'm a big believer it's not. Let's not be fatalistic. There's so much capacity for change and agency that each one of us brings in every year of our life. So it doesn't need to be that my grandparents did it that way. So I'm, you know, <laughs> that's, oh, that's absolutely. And I mean, I I am continually working on these things, but I can say in the last couple of years of being single, I have so much more awareness. And when I go on a first date now and I'm hearing someone talk about being a perfectionist and I'm hearing someone really focused on appearance and focus on my appearance that's an out for me, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got friends that are great and I'll call them and I'll have conversations and they'll, they'll call me and they'll be like, that's 
that mm. guy's full of red flags. Like mm-hmm. that's that's not someone who's lighting up the safe part of like the truly safe part of your brain. It's mm. someone who's lighting up the familiar part of your mm. brain. And it's very difficult, isn't it? Because for someone who was never told that they looked that they looked attractive, they might genuinely desire that, and it might actually it might be a soft place for them to fall. If someone said, you look nice today, they might think, oh, no one ever said that. That feels really good. Totally. It's all subjective. There's, yes, no, ob- exactly. there's, no, there's no objective. Yep. I mean, there are some objective red flags, but I think like there are so many subjective red flags dependent yes. upon your own wounds. Correct. So that's what I was thinking. You know, we don't want every person who's listening to say never, ever comment on someone's appearance. No, of course not. Of course but, not. But I'm kind of, kind of with you. Like I, I rarely would comment on someone's appearance because mm. um, there's so many other layers to the person that, that want to be seen, that are desperate to be seen in all of us, mm. in all of us. Yeah. I could talk to you for hours and hours, um, but I have to go and pick the kids up from yeah. school, <laughs> to be completely honest. Real so life. we're going to, we're absolutely, we're going to have to wrap it up here, but I think this has been so incredibly helpful. I, I know people will be listening going, oh my gosh, I need to check in with my own needs. I need to understand my own bids, perhaps acknowledge my partner's bids. Not perhaps. Um, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and- I know there will also be people thinking, but I wanted the answer. I wanted a, I wanted a roadmap to do I leave or do I stay? And um, I think that's, that's actually quite dangerous to think that it will be that black and white. And also, of course, there are situations where someone is not safe and they should leave. But one of the things that I think would haunt haunt people if they leave without doing this work, it's like that question mark of, oh, should I have explored this a little bit more before making that decision? Mm-hmm. So whilst it's not an exact roadmap of step one, two, three, do this, I think there's so much rich context and food for thought in this conversation of asking people, if you are asking yourself, is it time to end my relationship? First of all, first of all, take ownership and responsibility of your needs mm-hmm. personally and then look at your partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's helpful. Yeah, and also that um, whichever way you decide, if you decide yes or no, um, neither will feel like a perfect fit. There'll be yes. grief, oh. there'll be loss. Uh, in, uh, choose A, there's loss. Choose B, there's loss. I am so glad you said that because I am continually saying to friends who are in a similar situation of trying to decide whether or not they want to exit and I'm like there's there's never going to be that day where you wake up and you feel so perfectly content with all of the collateral damage that's going to come along with this decision like don't wait for that (laughs) like that you know that rainbow to strike you in the head and you feel really good about it all because it's not going to happen but you didn't feel that before you even entered a relationship with this person so (laughs) why would you realistic optimism um we started anyway your kids will be on a street corner in a moment so um, (laughs) i'll Thank you. Let you go. But it's a beautiful conversation. I love your honesty and candor and your personal sharing and it's obviously why people resonate with your with your pod and with what you're bringing to the world. Thank you. I truly appreciate that. Now, I know that you are absolutely booked out when it comes to personal one-on-one therapy, but people can still hear from you because you have a podcast and you have social media. Where should people go? Yeah, thanks, Kylie. So my podcast is called Human Cogs and they are um, conversations with what we call extraordinary ordinaries, but so they're ordinary people with, you know, extraordinary 
ways of living their ordinary lives. They're about relationships, they're about um, work, they're about all manner of topics and I co-host that with um, Mads Grummet. And um, on social media, Sabina Reid, um, on Insta, Sabina Reid Psychology, on my website, um, you know, LinkedIn, wherever. You'll find me out there. Um and I'm we always have to, to, yeah, to have chats with sort of like-minded people. But as you said, I am not up for taking on new clinical clients. My books are closed. Yes. We will have all of those details in the show notes so that people can find you. And the other thing that I know you do is you speak at events, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I throw a lot of keynotes. I do um, a lot of workshops um, in corporates and organisations on topics from stress and wellbeing. Not, it's not all relationship, um, career, all manner of topics. Humans. I like to work with humans. <laughs> Brilliant. Hence the Human Cogs podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and also for that little mini therapy session there for me as well. Really <laughs> helpful. <laughs> now go get your kids. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Thanks, girl. <laughs> What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.